Today's episode of Behind the Beverage is brought to you by BevSpot, empowering the global food and beverage industry with technology. By combining your restaurant's inventory and ordering data with beautifully designed, easy-to-use software, BevSpot can help you run a more efficient, more profitable business. Check them out today at BevSpot.com and schedule a consultation with one of their specialists to see how BevSpot can help you. That's BevSpot.com, B-E-V-S-P-O-T.com. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Beverage, where every other week we present you with the interesting histories and backstories of just about everything in the world of spirits, wine, beer, and beyond. I'm your host, Trevor Bernacci, and this week we're going beyond beverages and firing up the falafel cart to track the history of street food, the international phenomenon that's been bridging our differences and bringing cultures together for thousands of years. I've got a fresh kebab by my side, so that means it's time to go. Behind the beverage. All right, all right. Since I know this episode's going to make me pretty hungry and probably most of you, let's dive right in and get talking about how we got to where we are with street food today. Well, street food's a pretty broad category, but really the definition of street food is prepared or cooked foods sold by vendors in a street or other public location for immediate consumption. Now, that covers a lot of territory if you think about how we purchase and consume food outside of restaurants and shops these days. Now, street food's been around pretty much since the dawn of civilization, and whether it's aluchat, arancini, uh, pierogies, or even pizza, it's hard to deny the cultural impact that street food has had on humanity. Now, like a lot of things in this world, you can trace the origins of street food all the way back to ancient Greece, by way of Egypt, of course. The Egyptians in the Greek-controlled city of Alexandria had vendors that would sell small fried fish from stalls in the city's port. Now this quickly spread back into the rest of Greece at the time, but Theophrastus, who happened to be the successor to Aristotle's school of teaching and thinking, looked down on the custom of street food. Now, As a result of that, street food in Greece was relegated to the poor and uneducated classes as a lesser form of cuisine. Now, By the time the Romans took over as the dominant civilization in the world, street food was evolving into many different variations, but it was still considered to be a lowbrow style of eating that was really meant for the poor. Since the lower-class citizens of ancient Rome generally didn't have kitchens in their homes at the time, they would need to visit their nearby food stalls, or thermopolia in Latin, several times a day for all their meals. These thermopolium were essentially rows of small kitchen cubicles that faced out onto the streets, and they served up all kinds of different fare. The most popular foods of the time were mainly stews of beans, farro, or other grains, basically what the poor street vendors could afford to cook, but also food that would fill up their patrons as much as possible. Well, centuries later, when the cities of Pompeii and Herculaneum were excavated from the eruption of Vesuvius, the evidence of a large number of thermopolium were found preserved among the ruins, proof that the food stalls of the time were a vital component in the day-to-day -day of ancient Roman cities. Now, around the same time, in ancient China, street food was enjoying a growing popularity as well. The same stigma, though, around street food catering only to the poor was alive there, but the difference was in China that the rich citizens also got a taste for these new, different food options. Now, rather than being seen in the street markets themselves, which is such a horrifying thought, the wealthiest citizens were able to send their servants into town in order to get these foods for them, 
So essentially, the original Postmates. Urbanization and street food have grown side by side since the very beginning. As humans started settling into large cities, street food followed and grew along with the people. During the Middle Ages, these cities were bustling with carts, stalls, and shacks selling the ready-cooked foods of the day on the dirtiest streets, usually in the seediest neighborhoods. This doesn't mean that these poor people didn't try to make the best of their situation when enjoying their meals. Back in Cairo, Egypt, during the 14th century, people would bring blankets made of local rawhide to spread on the ground to sit on while enjoying their lamb kebabs, rice, fritters, and other snacks they'd procured from their favorite hawkers or street vendors. Now, these people might not have had two extra coins to rub together, but as is usually the case, poverty breeds the best of human ingenuity, and out of those grubby little street stalls came some of the most timeless recipes at the base of entire food cultures. In Paris, no doubt one of the culinary capitals of the world, they develop pâté, which are savory pastries that are filled with stewed meats or vegetables. At the time, they were sold for mere pennies to errand boys and day laborers so they'd be able to eat something with no utensils while working. Just like a lot of other historical street foods, these gained so much in popularity that it led to the term pâtisserie, or pastry, which I'm sure I'm slaughtering the pronunciation, and during the Renaissance period, it became one of the focal points at the grandest, wealthiest tables all over Europe. Now, these savory meat pies went from having questionable scraps for filling to a wide variety of luxury ingredients like truffles, squab, and even foie gras. Not far away in England, the same concept was popping up in the form of the British pasty, generally mincemeat pies that were served to the working classes of London and other major cities at the time. Another street food that's become synonymous with the culture it came from is, of course, the classic fish and chips sold on the street and wrapped in yesterday's newspapers. This custom was brought to England by the Sephardic Jews who were fleeing persecution in the 15th and 16th centuries in the Iberian Peninsula. Not only was it delicious and an instant hit, but it was a direct callback to the original street foods from Alexandria we were talking about at the top of the episode. Europe, Asia, and Africa weren't the only ones getting in on the glory of street food at the time, though. The Aztecs of modern-day Mexico had massive marketplaces with vendors that sold every type of food you could think of. Beverages, over 50 types of tamales, yum, even stews and roasted insects for protein. By the time the 17th century rolled in, street food had even made its way up into the American colonies. As early as 1691, New Amsterdam, also known as a little place called New York City, began regulating the street vendors who were selling food. These regulations were put in place because there was a lot of opposition to street vendors in the city, mostly because the street vendors were selling their wares at much more affordable prices than the public markets. The first formal regulations stated that street selling in the city could not start until two hours after public markets opened. This would give the markets a chance to sell what they needed before the food vendors would start undercutting their prices for the rest of the day. The battle didn't end there, though. In 1707, New York City banned all street food sales entirely. Can you imagine a New York City that has no food carts anywhere? I can't tell you the number of times a little shawarma stand has saved my life at 2 in the morning in New York City. They're literally on every single corner in Manhattan these days, and it's a huge part of how that fast-paced city functions. Of course, we know the vendors did get a chance to reopen, but it wasn't until they made a compromise with the city council at the time known as the 30-minute law. This new law required any street food vendor to pack up and move their cart or stall every 30 minutes. This must have been a frustrating compromise to make, but again, from the downtrodden comes innovation. The 30-minute law gave rise to the wheeled food carts that are still in use today. 
That iconic look of the hot dog stand with the large bicycle wheels on one side would have never occurred if the city of New York had not initially banned all street food vendors from the city. Now, this law requiring vendors to be nomadic cooks all day worked pretty well until the late 19th century. In 1886, four local vendors decided to band together and stay put. They started an open-air market on Hester Street, and eventually the concept spread around to other neighborhoods in the Lower East Side. Inevitably, store owners demanded a crackdown by City Hall after complaining the street sellers were undercutting their trade and clogging the streets. Now, eventually, they were able to bridge the gap of their differences, but the struggle between brick-and-mortar establishments and street carts still exists to this day in New York. Just before the turn of the century, sausage vendors began selling their products outside of dorm buildings at Ivy League universities like Yale, Harvard, Princeton, and Cornell. Genius idea, by the way. And they were soon called dog wagons and really were the beginnings of modern-day hot dog carts that we all know so well. Yeah, things really kept progressing throughout the 20th century. From 1936, when Oscar Mayer rolled out the first Wienermobile, to 1974 when Raul Martinez turned an old ice cream truck into the country's first taco truck, street food was always becoming more modern and more mobile. In the last 45 years since, street food in America has taken on a life of its own. No longer just the greasy spoon treats of yesteryear, we're starting to see some serious chef work behind the food trucks of 2019. In 2011, the Zagat Guide began reviewing food trucks across the country, and in 2014, pop culture took a step into the ring with the John Favreau film Chef. Yeah, we've certainly come a long way as humans since those days in Egypt when the first hawker stepped forward with a bushel of fried fish to sell. Now, even though we've come a long way, there's always been a common misconception around street food. Because it came from the poor, really with the main objective to feed large groups of people on the cheap, it's often been thought to have very little worth. But that being said, especially in these times of rapid globalization, street food is often the last true representation of a region's cultural identity. In this way, street food distinguishes territory and tradition, all while bridging our cultural differences with delicious food. Effectively, it keeps alive one of the most important aspects of any culture, the eating habits of its people. And that is how we got to where we are today with street food. Absolutely fascinating to think every time you stand on the side of the road, order a slice of pizza, a taco, whatever your choice might be, the thousands of years of history that go into that one piece of food. Absolutely amazing. Now before we wrap up for the week, we're going to jump into our segment called Pro Tips and Fun Facts. Alright, pro tips and fun facts about street food. So, pro tip number one, don't sleep on that street meat, man. Not only are Michelin star chefs opening up food trucks to make their food more accessible, but several street food vendors around the world have actually been awarded Michelin stars, like Chan Han Meng in Singapore, and the legendary Jay Phi, the crab omelette queen of Bangkok. Unbelievable looking food there. Pro tip number two. Are you feeling overwhelmed with the selection of food trucks in your area, or just want to know what's going to be nearby when you need to run out for a quick bite? A lot of major cities, just like Boston, are actually listing the food trucks by neighborhood on a daily basis. It's a great way to support your local business owners and experience some of the more interesting foods of the world you may have been too nervous to try in the past. Alright, fun fact number one. Street vendors in Bangkok feed over 40% of the population of that city. Now, considering the population of Bangkok is just over 8 million people, that's no easy feat. It's roughly 3 million people a day eating from food stalls and carts. Unbelievable. Which leads me to fun fact number two. 
Mumbai, India has over 500,000 street food vendors in that city alone. In a city that has a massive population of over 20 million, that equates to one food stall to every 40 citizens. Not too shabby if you're ever hungry in Mumbai. And on that note, we've reached the end of today's episode. As always, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be coming at you with a brand new episode in just a couple of short weeks. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and on Spotify so you can always get updated on our latest episodes. In the meantime, though, keep those glasses full, have a great week, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Behind the Beverage. Behind the Beverage is brought to you exclusively by BevSpot. Visit them today at BevSpot.com to find out how their software can help you run a more efficient, more profitable restaurant. BevSpot, empowering the global food and beverage industry with technology. The Behind the Beverage theme song is written and performed by Ila Moana. Check them out anywhere you stream music, Ila Moana at Spotify, Pandora, or iTunes.